Welcome to the Church Safety Guys broadcast with hosts James McGarvey, Paul Buckner, and Mike Scully. Together, they make up the Church Safety Guys. Their mission, to equip, train, and disciple church safety teams. Join us for the next hour as we talk about all things church safety and security. Don't forget to like our Facebook page, join one of our church safety and security communities online, and share this broadcast with your church. Well, good evening and welcome to the Sunday night evening broadcast of the Church Safety Guys. I am James and I am joined by Mr. Buckner this evening and also um, Mike Scully. Sorry, I'm looking at multiple things here. Hey guys, how are you doing? Hey guys, good. Hey, we can hear you. Um, Except for Paul. Paul, your mic's muted. 12 times a charm for me. I guess. Boom. All right. So I don't know. Paul is full of technical difficulties this evening. Well, <laughs> it seems to run in the church safety guys family. We have internet connections go down, right? We have internet connections go down. We have, you know, I, <laughs> I was, I was on earlier and I was talking to our guest and I'm like, his is, his internet is crystal clear. How can we duplicate this across Texas and, and Missouri? I don't, I don't know. I got nothing. So how are you guys doing today? Busy day? Not busy? Yeah. Getting ramping up into next weekend with the executive protection class and everything and and I'm going to try to kill multiple birds with one stone because I'm planning on coming in Thursday night for our meeting. A lot of you guys don't know, we've never met each other in the flesh. So uh, it's going to be <laughs> awesome. And uh, so looking forward to that and then and then ramping up into the weekend. And so I've got an event Saturday I'm going to and then, of course, sun, of course Sunday stuff and ramping up for all of that stuff in the middle. So got little projects during the week. And my wife and I were just planning our week together to make sure that we see each other because I'm, I'm pretty fond of her. So we're making sure we can see each other. So here's the thing. we, Mike and I, I get to go on a road trip and I'm going to drive to Missouri from Ohio, which is about 10 hours. And about the six hour mark when I would fall asleep without coffee or listening to an audio book, I get to stop by the St. Louis airport and pick Mike up (laughs) and then finish the last three hours. So Mike, your job is going to be definitely to keep me awake. So I stay on the road, but we were told that (laughs) we we were, we were told Mike and I are, are doing the executive protection class with Matt Combs of shield force international. And I'm very much looking forward to it. I think it'll be a great time. Um, I think meeting, meeting Paul in the flesh will be, will, will be fun. All I'm going to say is if Matt asks me to guard Paul on Sunday, (laughs) the answer is going to be no. (laughs) I'm going to be like, I don't think so. Oh, or, trust me. If you have to guard me, I will play it up to like the, the nth degree because I've done those little things and I, I played, I, I was told to play a woman alongside this guy. <laughs> so as I'm walking to the vehicle being escorted for the training, I turn to the guy I'm with and the bodyguard that's being trained. And I said, I want him fired. 
I don't like the way he looks. I don't like the way he acts. I want him gone. And the guy just turns and looks at me, and Matt busts a gut laugh. And I was like, gone. <laughs> Boom. Well, he sent out he sent out an email, and I if if he's watching, I apologize. I'm sorry in advance, Matt. But he sent out an email, and he said, look, if you have a, a nicer SUV or a vehicle that we can use in in this exercise, you'll win extra brownie points. So I'm like, I don't have an SUV, but I do have a pickup truck and it's got a crew cab and it's, it's a comfortable <clears throat> truck. So I, I'm like, you know what? I don't mind bringing it. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. That'll be perfect. And I said, and to add, uh, add some character to the situation, I, I have undercover red and whites. And he thought that was even better. He's like, that's so awesome. So who knows what's going to happen? Uh, I'm looking forward to it, uh, and definitely. I just hope your insurance is good from when we're practicing the pit maneuvers. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know what? It was funny because I was I was talking to my kids about it, and they're like, "Wow, you're going to go do that class? So how? What is it all about?" And I said, "Well, you know, if you're driving, it it makes you think, and you have to do quick turns and quick quick maneuvers and move people, and uh, you know, I'm like." on a country road in the middle of nowhere nobody's around me and i'm like swinging the steering wheel like you got to think quick like this and of course they're they're freaking out they're like you're gonna kill us i'm like no that's what the class is for so that i so anyhow if you if you just joined us thanks for thanks for watching us if you listen at a later time on youtube or podcast uh please on youtube uh click the subscribe link below on the right hand corner uh, that actually helps us out a lot uh, because as we build subscribers, YouTube lets us do more things with the channel. And so that's a that's an awesome blessing that we can um, we can return to you guys. But other than that, if you're just joining us on the show tonight, uh, please feel free to to post what church you're from, where you're located. Um, again, that helps us, too. And uh, we have an interesting topic and and as the church safety guys, we always try and bring in relevant serious topics and we have a lot of fun together but um just again just kind of as our disclaimer you know we don't take this lightly uh we enjoy each other's company and we have a lot of fun in the broadcast but the reality is a lot of times we talk about serious serious topics that are are important and uh and should be discussed and so tonight is one of those nights and um we actually we have a special guest with us and uh, his name's Aaron, and he's with the Center for Suicide Awareness. And I'm going to go ahead and actually bring him in here. And if you, while we're doing this, if you guys happen to have any questions uh, about our discussion or whatnot, feel free to post in the comments. And uh, we would love to to try and try and get to him at, during the second half. So mm -hmm. we'll bring Aaron in here. Good evening, sir. Hopefully we didn't scare you away. <laughs> no, no, this is totally normal. It's just feel it feels right. That's all I can say. Cool. Well, that's good. We we always like people to be comfortable, except for Paul. Paul can be <laughs> uncomfortable as much as the next person, maybe. <laughs> okay. I, I live outside my comfort zone. It's normal. Very true. So uh, Aaron, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you how did you get into uh, suicide awareness? How did you what's your what's your life story in thirty seconds or less? Go. Oh, no, oh boy. Okay. Um, no. Uh, so my name's Aaron. Um, I am thirty three. 
33, almost 34 years old. Um, right when I graduated <laughs> high school, I got into uh, law enforcement. I did a project when I was, you know, just kind of junior, you know, I don't really know what I want to do, but I did a ride along and cool. I was super excited like after that because I had never kind of experienced something like the adrenaline rush that you get. So I said, yeah, this is, I got to do this. This is just what I, I need to be doing. Um, so what happened was I went through the academy and I, you know, was working all these part-time jobs that were related to law enforcement and just really kind of getting into that niche. Well, what happened was about uh, when I was 20, 24, 24 ish or something like that. Uh, I got my first full-time job. I had worked some part-time police jobs just for the experience. Um, but I got my first full-time job when I was 24 and I was with that department for nine years up until last, uh, what would it be October of 2019. And I, something, something just kind of switched with me where it wasn't necessarily fun anymore. It wasn't the the job that I thought that I was going to be doing for the rest of my life. And it was really affecting my, my quality of life. I wasn't a good husband and I wasn't a good father. And I, I had a really good sit down with my wife. And I remember this conversation and I said, what would happen if I just left? And she's like, I'll support you a hundred percent. So I, there was some other in some stuff that was going on and eventually it was just saying, you know what? I can't do this anymore because it's affecting my mental health and it's affecting my quality of life and I need to do something to change it. So that was honestly one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my entire life. And I, in hindsight, it's the best decision I've ever made. Um, so then going back a little bit, Prior to October, it was early summer, I had connected with, uh, her name is Barbara Gulke. She is our executive director for the center. Uh, and she was telling me about a position that she wanted to implement at the center uh, for, and I, and I love telling people this. I, so my official title is the video game outreach director. So what I do, <laughs> I know, I know, nobody, nobody well, believes me when I talk. I saw that when you emailed me and I'm like, I'm, I know there's a story behind this this yep. title. So <laughs> that's awesome. It, it, yeah. So she was, she told me about how I believe it was Microsoft reached out to her and said, there's this really big epidemic in the gaming community, in the developer community, into the, the players. Hmm. And we need something, we need something to happen. So she kind of got dove right into it. And all of a sudden she's going out to these major video game conferences, talking about mental health and really just, getting that message out there that look there is a resource for for the type of gamer you are whether it's that or you know you're a streamer anything so mm -hmm. i connected with her after i left and i said hey i know you were talking about this i said is this something that you know i could at least volunteer for so she says as she always says let's go get coffee and when <laughs> i hear that i okay sure so we went and got coffee and basically the whole job formulated from there. And she said, I'd love to have you on. And through that, it's just been this amazing connection of teaching about mental health, teaching about the signs and symptoms uh, of suicide and, and really explaining that this is something that's going on that's not being addressed. That's awesome. Now, for those of you that, that are listening, um, and and watching 
one of the reasons that uh, I was kind of motivated, I, you know, my background, um, you guys, I think most of you guys that watch know my background was in fire and EMS. And then I had a short stint in, in law enforcement. Um, but I had been talking to uh, one of the guys up in Wisconsin about uh, actually Jason Weber and we had him on back in, I think it was January and we kind of supported their, um, his Green Bay, Wisconsin church safety conference. And so Jason and I were talking, they just released a new uh, online class for, um, for first responders. And so he and I were talking back and forth and I, I said to him, you know, I'm really developing a passion about this, about supporting the folks that support us, right? And and putting that forward. And I, I said, Jason, I said, you know, um, this would be an awesome topic to talk about at the next church safety conference because we were kind of going back and forth. And so he sent he sent me the class and he said, take the class, let me know what you think. And then he reached out to me and he said, hey, um, he said, Barb, uh, Barb is a fantastic resource. I know her, you know, I met her. And she's, he's like, the two of you need to get together and talk. So we were going back and forth. And, uh, and then that's when Barb actually said, Hey, um, you know, Aaron has a, a background in law enforcement, so that might be a cool transition. And most of, uh, Aaron and I were talking earlier about, uh, most of the folks that serve on church safety teams, uh, and do church safety or security, most of them are an older generation. And so we come from the generation where um, asking for, for help to handle something like because you're overwhelmed mentally is a bad thing. You know, it's looked at like, well, you're, you're a weak person if you, if you do that. And so um, to me, it was really cool to, to connect with you guys and at least, you know, get you get you in here. So I definitely appreciate your time and, and help with that tonight. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. But, uh, Paul, did you have anything that, uh, that you wanted to throw in there? You're, you're <coughs> well, right. I'm really, not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm really intrigued by this because I, I don't believe in coincidence. I mean, you do, you do chaplain work, James, and, and I do chaplain work and I've had many conversations with officers who've been really struggling and I've had officers who've confided in me, I got to get out. And I've had officers that have found coping mechanisms and stayed in with great success and great happiness. Yeah. And I've literally had people tell me um, just as a quick anecdote, I had a, a member of a command staff for a department turn to me. He said, I've got a young rookie officer that came to me. He saw his first suicide. Um, it was messy, gooey, nasty. The Academy didn't prepare him for it. And he goes, I'm like, dude, you need to man up. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you. And he's like, I, I feel like you need to go talk to this kid because I got nothing for him. And then he's like, and by the way, I've never developed healthy coping mechanisms myself for what I see. And we had a real heart to heart and he confided in me. I've got to get out. And I see him. He's in a totally different line of work now. I see him and his grin almost touches his ear. I mean, <laughs> his ears. He's so happy. And, and I've seen the exact opposite where officers ha have stayed in and been miserable. And then I've seen what hopefully I can have a major impact. And that's what, that's where I'm going with this is I'm really intrigued by what you have because I want to keep as many good cops behind badges. And, and if I, if you could put a framework around my chaplain ministry, that's what I do. And so I'm really keenly interested in where this is going tonight. You know, it's funny you say that because 
I've always, when, <clears throat> when I was on the road, I always told people, I said, God, if I could find another job that would, you know, be the same and I could help people, but just not deal with the bad stuff, mm -hmm. I would do it in a heartbeat. But in the reality, I was lying to myself because I didn't think I could do anything else. I didn't think I was actually like my skill set was never going to be anything else. But what I've learned after I left is the best skills that I've learned are not on a piece of paper or a degree. It's been the life experience that I've had for the past 12 years, learning how to deal with people, learning how to deal with situations. And it's been this, you know, amazing kind of 180 to say, look. You, there is life after law enforcement if you choose to leave. It is hard. Do not get me wrong. Hardest decision I have ever made. But once you do it and you find something that is applicable to what you want to do, it is 100% the best choice that you can make. So that grin that you, he was talking about, yeah, I get it. 100%. I love that. Yeah. yeah one of the things I'm just going to throw in here real quick. One of the things that, that I do appreciate, first of all, and I, I appreciate your honesty and transparency because I know that's hard. Um, when you get in that position, I mean, I loved, I love fire. I love EMS. I love law enforcement. And there were things that happened in my life that kind of took me away from that. And part of mm -hmm. the reason was um, because of my family, because I, I wasn't sure the quality of life I could have with my family you know, working, you know, three 12 hour shifts and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, but what I love about your story is that, um, you know, you sat down with your wife and you talked about it because how many people would just be like, you know what, I'm not, I'm just going to, it'll, it'll go away. It's fine. You know, that's, I think that's another kind of facade that we, a lot of times we put up when we're like, Hey, everything's okay. We're not going to have any problems here. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to keep working on it and work on it harder and, and we'll see what happens. And I think it's interesting because I'm going to go back to I, a story I mentioned earlier to, to Aaron uh, before Paul came in where I had someone, I responded actually to a situation uh, in my community where someone shot themselves and nobody knew that it was going to happen. Everybody was like, well, you know, he didn't, he didn't exhibit any signs or symptoms of that. And so what I find interesting is my, my perspective on it has always been, well, if somebody cuts themselves or if somebody does something detrimental to them, it's really just a show. Like they're just doing it for attention instead yeah. of going past that. And, and I, I'm just being transparent. I know that's not the case now. I, I know that there's so much more, but at the same time, to me, it's kind of, it's been eye-opening for me to be able to look at it and say, okay, what can we do, you know, as churches, as communities to really support and have a better, a better idea of, you know, helping people and, and getting them to that point of realizing, look, it's not, you're not by yourself. There's other people that have gone through this and there is life after, after doing something like that. And the, the hardest thing about actually believing that, and actually let me go back to one thing you said, when I sat down with my wife that night and we really hashed it out, that was about two or three years into our marriage. And about the first year into our marriage, she said, look, I think there's something wrong with you. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, I think there's something wrong with you mentally. I Would you care if you go and get checked? Not that same exact words, but like, you know, would you ever should go see a therapist? And I 
for the first time in my life, I was 28 years old and I said, what do you mean? There's something wrong with me. But ultimately what I found out was, yes, I have an anxiety, depression, and I'm sure I have PTSD from that job. But, but the fact mm -hmm. of the matter is it took time for me to really build up that, that feeling of it's okay to talk about this because it's going to be more normalized down the road because I'm not the only one that's dealing with something like this. Yeah. There are so many people, people, that are suffering in silence that don't want to because fear of, as we talked about James earlier, you know, sure. you talk about it, it shows you weak or it shows, Ooh, hold on. Should you be carrying a gun right now? Should you be doing this? And that brings up so many conflicted feelings for people that, that maybe want to express I'm struggling. And yeah. it's just, it's hard. Like for example, my, my department that I was at, they offered uh, EAP, which is an employee assistance program but they only offer you six sessions. So six sessions is going to tell me that I'm okay. And then we're done. It doesn't work that way. So you have sure. to find what, what works for you. If medication is, is an issue or if, you know, therapy, whatever, but don't be ashamed about that because it is, it, it's so important to make sure that you get that out because if you bring that into the job, it's only going to affect your performance. Well, and, and honestly, that's, it's awesome that you say that, but you know, the, the, the realm of church safety and security crosses over that so often because we do have folks that often carry firearms. We do have folks mm -hmm. that respond to emergencies and, you know, as a church in the community, we always strive to be welcoming, warm and reaching mm -hmm. out to people. And so we've got teams of folks out there that are saying the same thing. And it's like, well, you get to a point where you're either doing the, doing the, the volunteer or you're doing the job just to do it, or you're, you're to the point where if I say something to somebody else, then I'm going to be branded with that. Well, I shouldn't yep. have, you know, I shouldn't have a gun or I shouldn't be doing this, or I, I'm not as engaging to maybe somebody else because we do, um, we do get a lot of folks that, you know, that come to the church looking for it as counseling, as, you know, as a spiritual need. Um, so it, and it's, it's really, it's really funny because I actually, as you were just talking, I just thought about this, you know, if somebody like, I, so I'm diagnosed with generalized anxiety. That's, that's what I have now knowing that and knowing mm -hmm. that I did 12 years in law enforcement, not knowing that I had that, you know, mental illness, or even let's just call it mental health issue. Why would that affect it? How could that affect me if I said, yeah, I'm going to see a therapist for, for this issue and mm -hmm. they can look at me and say, I don't think you should really be having a weapon right now. But that's the thing. It's so stigmatic and it's, it, it needs, that needs to go away. It really, really does. And I mean, there are times, you know, we don't, as leaders, for those of you that are listening as, as leaders or church leaders and ministry workers, what I find fascinating is often there's not somebody that we can go to without, you know, uncertain topics. And so I would just encourage you, if you need to talk to somebody, you know, to reach out because, you know, there are times that, you know, I've reached out to Paul and I'm just like, Hey, <laughs> you know, I'll leave him a voicemail message. Or I'm like, can you call me? Let's talk mm -hmm. about this because with the backgrounds and stuff, again, just having somebody, you know, there to listen, sometimes that's all the help, you know, that's all it takes, but being able to go through 
and address something and be like, uh, okay, you know, there have been times when Paul's blown up my phone about stuff that's going on. Yeah. And it's like, you know, but at the same time, understanding and realizing that we're not all perfect, I think kind of goes a long way. And I don't know. It's just kind of. So just, just to, just to pipe in, because this is actually something I really, I forgot to tell you about James um, was, so the center actually has a, a dedicated emotional support uh, text-based service. It's called the sure. hope line. Okay. And so any, anywhere in the United States, they can always text hope line to 741741 and you'll be connected to a trained specialist that we awesome. have on our staff free of charge. So if anybody doesn't want to talk to somebody close to them, officer, you know, mom, dad, anybody, it doesn't matter. It it's for any issue whatsoever. Just yeah, make sure you you utilize that because uh, post co or I'm sorry, pre COVID, we had maybe about 800 conversations a month during COVID or COVID time. We I think are averaging between 10 and 12,000 conversations a month now. So it wow. it is it is a it is an issue. It plain and simple is. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it over to Paul. We're gonna take a, a quick break here shortly. But Paul, did you want to add anything or jump in there? I have a feeling we could easily have a two-hour conversation. <laughs> There's so much here that's so exciting <laughs> because I I have talked about for a decade that I've been beside the badge and I've been at weddings and funerals and I've helped officers move and I've mentored and role modeled. Um, I've sat with officers as they've sobbed and there's so much that happens off camera. There's so much that mm -hmm. happens back at the PD or sitting at the edge of a ball field, you know, having a conversation with somebody. And once they know, I mean, you know, people have to know how much you care before they care how much you know. And a lot of times yeah. it's just, I know I can talk to you because you're not my boss, to your point. I know I can talk to you because I know you're not going to tell my story. Or if you do, you know, it'll be with permission and you'll detach it from anything to do with my department. And so there's so much to that um, that that is is slowly starting to become acceptable. And I've literally... I've literally talked to officers that have terrible nightmares. They wake up, they wake up fighting from in, in nightmares, or um, I've talked to officers that have come back from terrible altercations. One guy recently, great guy, great cop, um, two people dropped acid and shot meth knowing they were about to fight him and, mm -hmm. and, and fought him or his vest clean off of him. And, and we talked through all of the very real, um, anxiety and, and hyper awareness and, yeah. and, you know, things that startle you and, and sounds bothering you. And we went down this road and I've been blessed to learn at the feet, uh, as it were of Grossman through his books and different things and, the, and, and expand on that. I don't have a counseling degree, but the Lord has sort of taught me as I go. And, and maybe there's a degree down the road for me. I don't know, but <laughs> there's so much here. And, and I think the relevance to church safety is twofold. Uh, for anybody sitting at home going, how's this relevant to me? Well, one, if you ever go through a terrible life event at your church or a terrible life event, you will have a type of post-traumatic stress. Um, I, I had a sister that was severely, severely ill when I was a kid, and she would stop breathing in the middle of the night. I would stay unconscious, but yell for my parents that Christine had stopped breathing. And I did not realize that I had, that we didn't call it anything. I didn't know what it was called. Mm -hmm. I was an adult 
and had a crying baby. And all of a sudden I was going, I was shaking and I was freaking out. And I, I had to realize this is a happy, healthy child crying, but it took me back 15 years to being a, a much younger man. So dangerous things happen, bad life events happen. If we don't deal with it, they can chase us. And then talking about domestic spillover, um, Dan Blevins was just talking about this in his podcast. Um, we're going to face more of it, but we need to be looking as first responders come into our churches. They're there to get the same things we're getting, but unless you've been to war, you probably haven't seen worse things than they've seen. And we need to be super, super aware of that. And, and somewhere around that note, I think we need to go to, to a sponsor break. <laughs> we do. So if you're, if you're listening, hang tight with us. We'll be back uh, actually in just a minute with Aaron. And we're going to get into, I do know that we had a, uh, at, at least one question somebody posted. So we'll talk about that and get to that. And then uh, we're actually going to cover with Aaron um, just some signs and symptoms, you know, and he's going to walk us through a few things that we can look for and uh, and talk about that. So hang with us and uh, we will be right back with you guys. With over 50 years of experience with religious and nonprofit organizations, Thomas Alexander Insurance and Associates understands that your congregation is different from a traditional business. We're here to fulfill your needs, coming to you while creating a personal plan for your budget and size. From your local community to around the globe, we are advocates for you. Thomas Alexander Insurance and Associates, your partner in service. As believers, we place our faith in God for protection. But we must also take personal responsibility to keep our communities and families safe. Violence knows no boundaries. It's in our schools, our places of work, and even our places of worship. Now more than ever, we must awaken to today's threats and realities and do what we can to plan, prepare, and protect. That's why we created the Worship Security Association, an online video training resource to equip people just like you to learn how to protect your church. By joining WSA, your church will gain unlimited access to our growing library, which includes interviews with security experts, the latest information from safety conferences, and unique presentations designed to unlock your ministry's potential. Now is the time to plan, prepare, and protect. The Church Safety Guys is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping equip, train, and disciple church safety and security teams. We are about all things church safety and security, which starts with a ministry mindset and a servant's heart. We are protectors, guardians, ambassadors, and shepherds. We help church and place of worship safety and security teams all over the United States through our broadcasts, online communities, conferences, trainings, resources, and products. Help us reach more churches in impactful ways by considering becoming a monthly ministry partner. $2, $5, $20 a month will help us continue to provide these resources.
All right, and we are back, uh, the Church Safety Guys, on our Sunday night broadcast, and uh, we're joined tonight by uh, Aaron with the Center for Suicide Awareness. So again, thanks for for hanging with us tonight, Aaron, and, and coming back after the break and not getting scared away. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. This is so normal to me. I love it. Good. Well, uh, we've got a couple of quick questions, so I'll throw that out there. Uh, Dale Henderson actually asked, can, can we post the text number and the name and the, the website? So yeah, we're, we're putting that up. So um, I just posted, actually posted the website and I'm gonna post the, the phone number and everything. Um, and then real quick, Dan, uh, one of the, the guys that uh, listens quite often, he says, I'm wondering if you had that mental health problem before entering law enforcement or did your experience in law enforcement cause, do you think it caused some of those issues or that anxiety? Um, you know, that that's an awesome question because uh, I I don't think, excuse me, let me rephrase that. I think I've, I've had a mental illness or mental health issue all my life. I really do. I don't think it's just been something that law enforcement has done. I believe law enforcement has exacerbated it. Um, sure. But I, I I think when I was growing up, I always felt like very nervous, very, it felt normal to worry all the time. And when I had brought it up to my parents, you know, I was like, oh no, it's just, it's just something that you can work through. It wasn't as accepted as it is today saying you might have some sort of a, an issue that's going undressed. But the one thing that I, I can tell you is that, you know, day after day of finding negative after negative after negative, it, it definitely can, it can bring it out a lot more. So. <clears throat> For sure. So what are you, let me go. I'm, I'm just messing. We're, we're struggling with Mike's connection again tonight. <laughs> so I apologize, but um, so let's go back to, what are what are just some signs and symptoms like what are the simple what are some simple things that maybe a lay person um could look at and identify within you know within somebody else to be able to say hey you know what let's let's step over here and let's call the hope line or maybe you know let's let's just talk sure what, what do you think about that um so when we're talking about you know suicide and mental health they they do similarly go hand in hand. There's some red flags for one that might not have for another, but generally speaking, it, it's very, very similar. So first the one I always say is, is talk. So what is somebody saying to you? What are they actually expressing? You know, hey, I'm feeling like such a burden to my family lately. You know, I feel trapped. I have no reason to live. I have this unbearable pain, you know, something along that line, um, their behavior. And behavior now is going to be very different because of COVID and we're all more, you know, isolating in place, but withdrawing from people, not answering the phone like you normally would, you know, not talking to somebody, not reaching out. Um, their mood has changed, loss of interest in things that they used to do. Uh, you know, the, the, the anger is more frequent, irritability. It, it's It's... Those kind of things that basically show it, and obviously there's the other underlying concerns, such as like a physical or other mental health concerns. You talk about substance abuse. People talk about how that could be an issue. But what I also tell people is one of the biggest signs of suicide is those serious or chronic pain issues that aren't going away because they're not managed. 
for example, I had a, a lower back issue. I had a sciatic nerve that was basically putting me in bed the whole time. So let's just say hypothetically, I didn't get that managed. That would be a road down to substance abuse and to saying, I don't want to be doing this anymore. I want this pain to end. Obviously, there's the environmental factors. You talk about COVID that that's in itself, you know, can make somebody worry, can make somebody feel like they're not getting somewhere. But then there's also the historical factors, family history, genetics, things like that. Nice. So if we were, so I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there to the, the folks that are in leadership. So if you're looking at your team from a team perspective, um, and I think I think with safety and security, I think we do this a lot as far as the, the team tends to be very close and, and that sort of thing anyway. But what I would say is if you're if you haven't as a leader, if you haven't reached out to everybody on your team, you know, definitely do that because you want to at least connect and engage with someone and make sure that, you know, that they're experiencing that engagement especially if we've, you know, been stuck in, <laughs> stuck in the house for a long period of time, or they have mm -hmm. now, maybe, maybe that's not intentional, you know, with COVID, maybe it's because they're a high risk medically, or, you know, it's not, when I say intentional, I mean, it's not because they just, they're, they have that fear aspect. It's, it's intentional because, um, you know, maybe there's a member in their family that has a medical concern that they're high risk category or something, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. So what I think is interesting is you said, you mentioned that um, mental health in a sense and suicide are, are somewhat connected. What do you think from a mental health, like when we talk about, oh, this is a mental health issue. I know sometimes that's a little bit subjective in that mm -hmm. we don't know Every, it kind of encompasses everything. So right. what do you, like, what would you look at as like mental health versus a, a more concerning, like alarming, like trending towards suicide type situation? Absolutely. Uh, that, that's such a good question because, and I do say that they, they are generally linked together. Um, if there's usually one, there's the other somewhere along the line. Um, but the, the one concerning thing that you should say, here's the biggest red flag is if somebody brings to the topic that, you know, somebody says something. And I always say like the, the one thing that people say a lot is I feel like such a burden, you know, they don't want to have their pain projected onto anybody else in their life. So they feel like they have to take it all. That's where it's concerning to somebody to say, look, they don't have to outright come and say, hey, I'm feeling suicidal or I need to kill myself or I want to kill myself. Those are very powerful words. If I'm feeling suicidal, the hardest thing to do is to say, James, Paul, I feel like I want to hurt myself because that doesn't that's not easy. So what I sure. always tell people is if you see something, anything that's concerning to you whatsoever, the best thing you can do is just go to them and reach out because it could just be a bad day or it could be years of depression building up. And finally, that day, they're going to take the step to do something about it. So <clears throat> what I tell people is if somebody if you get into that conversation, if somehow that comes up, the first thing you do is, OK, feel that moment. It's a serious moment. They say, 
yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about doing something. Okay, feel it. But take a breath, believe that, and remember, they are not physically doing anything at that moment. You are with them. They are safe. Then you just need to listen to them. And you need to really understand what they're going through. You don't need to fix the problem, but you need to understand it. And the one question that I used on the road all the time with somebody that was in crisis or somebody that was in that moment, and this is a very powerful question, and I, I want people to ask this to every single person if they were in this situation, is, is there anything in this world, anything at all, that gives you hope? And if they say no, then you need to go to a different situation. That is something that you cannot fix unless you are a first responder, law enforcement, something. But if they say something, if it's their dog, if it's their kids, focus on that. Show them that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yep. I love it. That's awesome. I, you know, what's interesting, I, at one point in time, uh, I worked for uh, Schwann's Food Company and delivering, delivering food and whatnot. And, uh, you know, we were asked at one point, um, we did a lot of competitions in one of the other other districts that we were competitive with. I got to know the the manager really well, and he was a, a really great guy. And um, I was working with my boss one day, and my boss made the comment, oh, he's he's on a lot of drugs and medication, and he's got a lot of mental issues. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, he doesn't really seem like the type of guy. I mean, he's happy-go-lucky. He's He's got a great family great life, you know, great job that pays well. I'm like, I, I don't see that. And yeah. uh, about two months later, uh, he actually, he took the weekend off and uh, I think it was on Monday, his family found him out in the woods. And um, so my boss came to me and a few other people and he said, look, he said, um, we're going to go and we're going to help them like run the business and ma maintain and make sure that the business stays intact and stuff like that. And then he said, Hey, I just want to talk to you for a second. So he pulled me into his office and I'm like, okay, what I do wrong? You know, what's this all <laughs> right. about? And he said, Hey, he said, you know, he said, I was joking around uh, a couple months ago about how he was a mental case. And he said, I said stuff that I shouldn't have. And he said, I just want to apologize for that. And he said, you know, I'm just, just letting you know, he said, this is, it, this is serious. And he said, this has really opened my eyes that, you know, that I shouldn't be kind of making jokes and, and making fun of somebody else for going through that. And so, I mean, it meant a lot to me that he actually apologized, but again, it, it put it in to a, to an agree, a degree, um, you know, it put it in a perspective for me that here, this guy had a perfect life, like on, you mm -hmm. know, from the outside, me looking in, it was like, Hey, there's there, I wish I could be that great. You know, that's, that's what you think, but yet the underlying problem and, and honestly, and, and Paul, Paul and I have talked about this before, but you know, a lot of times when we go to church, we put our best foot, you know, best foot forward. We, right. you know, we're, Hey, we're perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it doesn't matter that I just yelled at my kids in the car for, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, not being ready for church on time. Yep. Um, but so many, it's, it's just interesting to me because so many, so many different times, um, you know, I've, I've been involved in different situations where seeing stand standing off, I've had the opportunity to be involved with, with officers and chaplains and other folks that step in and they're like, Hey, 
you know, to somebody in that crisis situation, let's just talk, you know, why, why do you feel like what you said? Why do you feel like you don't have hope? You know, why do you feel like, um, you, you know, you have a family you have, and sometimes all it is, is, is taking somebody from the outside and mm -hmm. having them come in and be like, look, you know, here's, here's the positive things. Um, I'm going to say something real quick about, uh, I'm going to put, put in a plug for one of our books <laughs> and then I'm going to toss it over to Paul. So we, we put together a book. It's a 31 day inspirational book called the gratitude journal. And when I first started working on it, Paul was like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta check this out. And, um, it's great. And I'm like, what's a grat, this is ridiculous. What's a gratitude journal. Right. And so the more I started getting into it, the more I started thinking, you know what, that's what every, that's what we should be doing anyway. Like that's what we're fighting on a regular basis is someone that thinks in COVID escalates it and, you know, other things escalated, but it's like, you know, thinking, wait a second, this is, you know what, let's take one day at a time. Let's focus on what's important and let's, let's be grateful and develop a pattern of gratefulness for what we have in our situation. Um, whether you're, you know, whether you're a spiritual minded person, a Christian, you know, you're into the Bible or not, you know, there's always something that you can look at. There's always something that you can be grateful for. So with that, I'm going to throw it over to Paul and cause he's been strictly quiet writing notes. So yeah. I know <laughs> I'm, sitting here, I'm sitting here with a dry erase board and I'm, I'm like, Oop, we covered that good. And I'm like, I'm like taking notes. <laughs> I, I kind of got a baptism of, of fire into this. Um, I started about 10 years ago writing with a department and I know people and I got a big mouth and I started helping them get equipment. And it was like everything from tower equipment to firearms, to bandages, to cars. And I just started reaching out and networking. And over that 10 years, it developed into this full ministry. And I didn't realize I was doing chaplain work until one day a guy goes, you're a police chaplain. And I went, no, yes. And I, I was doing it and I didn't realize I was yeah. doing it because it went from saying, saying a prayer over a meal to praying for safety in a car headed to a call because I was, I'm, you know, have chaplain will travel. I mean, I'm right there with them and I'm not that guy. I'm not wired that if, if I'm in a car and they're screaming to shots fired, I'm with you. I'm not getting mm -hmm. out of the car. And uh, so anyway, it was this thing that suddenly just sort of happened and, and God was grooming me for it. And I've had these amazing conversations with officers and I've started calling it 2% shifts. And we've all taken a compass and taken a compass reading and gone, oh, I'm, I'm off course, I'm off course, I'm right. off course. <laughs> yeah. And, um, um, the uh, the interesting thing for me on that is I have had these amazing conversations with police officers in their homes, on their porches, uh, at their PD, in restaurants, in the car, whatever, and they they can't find their ultimate meaning in the badge. They, there's so many times you you bust somebody, you get a good bust, they get off on a technicality, they yep. beat you back to your PD and waggle their fingers at you as you limp yep. in from the fight. They've already been booked and released. We had a thing happen in our area where a guy fired shots driving down the road, was arrested for shooting at somebody else on the road, had multiple felonies, was released on $300 bond and probably won't serve time. And the officer's yeah. like, and I guess where I'm going with all that is to me, it's amazing because you mentioned perspective. It's all in how you can look at things. And I, I had a police officer turn to me one time and he goes, you know, Paul, I saw you help me. You helped me carry this body out of this room. 
And, you know, how do you deal with the fact that this guy's dead? And I said, you know, my belief, I come from a, a Christian background. My belief is to be absent from the bodies, to be present with God. If there's breath in the body or I think I can get breath in the body, I'm going to fight with everything I have to save that person's life. But I believe the moment that that person has passed on, that's above my pay grade. They're, they're with the Lord or whatever. And he goes, ooh, good point. Great guy, one of my one of my favorite officers I work with. And I said, I will treat the body with dignity, but it's an empty vessel. It's like an empty pop can. It is no longer a human being. It can't, it's not going to come back. We've watched too many zombie movies. It's not going <laughs> to come up and attack me. I don't care what sounds it makes or if it moves. And, and you know that happens. And, and, and a lot yeah. of it is perspective. And I, I was really toying because we're running low on time and I want to get Mike in here. I was trying to I was trying to think of which story to share with you. And maybe down the road, ultimately, I'm not anywhere near ready with my podcast, but I would like to maybe bring you on in six months or a year onto my podcast and maybe do a two-parter because there's so much to unpack here to use Mike's verbiage. There's so much gold nugget here to, to, to glean. But I'll share one story for people who don't understand what first responders go through. So when they're coming into our churches, we need to understand that for them, this was just another Tuesday. Mm -hmm. But I, I talked to a police officer that had done a drug bust, good bust. They come in the door, they come in hard. Dad's Dad's got a meth lab in the house. He's got a little child in the floor. Dad had gone into a meth-fueled rage and broken one of the bones of this child, a, a limb, and the bone was sticking out the arm. It was a true compound fracture. It had stopped bleeding, and the child was in the floor playing. Now, this is a two, three-year-old child, and this is the kind of stuff that this stays with a person. And yeah. I'm talking to two guys that both get this, right? This stays with you. And so they go in hard, full battle rattle, and he looks down, and this little child looks up and is like, <laughs> like, what the heck? Yeah. And a door right. flew open, a bunch of guys are in here. And he said, we get dad. He said it was surreal. Place smells like meth. It's, it's a, you know, it's yeah. waiting to blow up. It's a bad situation. And he said, um, the little child is crying as the paramedics are taking the child to the hospital where the child is going to receive the best medical care. The bone's going to get set. The child's going to heal. Um, and he said he was shaking when he told me the story and we just happened to bump into each other in a grocery store. And I don't believe it coincidence. That was God. Great cop, phenomenal guy. And he's telling me this story and it really had him shook. And I'm, I'm listening to him prayerfully going, I'd like to phone a a friend here, Lord, what, what should I say, if anything, at this moment? And he's like, he tells me, the, the guy tells me, the kid was angry with me. The kid blamed us. The kid blamed me for taking him away from dad. Dad's going to prison. Dad's losing all parental rights. And he's like, and how can I express to this little kid, I, I saved your life. And, and I stopped and I said, okay, so let's, let's break that up into pieces and get some perspective because it hit me. And I tried to, I tried to unpack it for him. And I said, so number one, you saved this kid's life. This kid was going to go septic or dad was going to beat him to death. One way or the other, this little kid was going to die. Number two, this is a cute little kid. That's going to be adopted. This is not a 13 year old. I've had 13 year olds. I understand why some species eat their young. Um, this is not, this is not a hard to adopt situation. And he's like, okay, yeah, you're right. And I said, if you guys hadn't done this, this child would have died. Yep, you're right. This child will now have a quality of life that could not have happened and will probably live a full life, right? Full life expectancy. He's like, you're right. And I said, remember, this is a two, three-year-old little child who won't remember you in a couple of months. 
and ultimately in life will not remember anything about this. I have very few memories before five years old. I mean, you know, and, and that's most of us are that way. We don't have these little bitty baby memories and for a reason. And I said, so you, you saved this child's life and God put you there for such a time as this. And I watched it click and I watched that 2% shift as he realized he was just a hair off horse and he stood a little taller and he, he's like, you know what? I did that. And, and I saved that kid's life. And I share that with you because you understand this and you'll have insight and perspective, but this is the kind of thing that first responders walk in the door. They, they heard a person scream as they burned to death in a house. They, they couldn't save the person that was drowning. They, I have a friend that warned a woman 50 times. If you warned her once, get out of the situation, this guy's going to kill you. She ended up dead in a very brutal way. And, um, she has some culpability. It was a volatile relationship and she chose to stay. And I'm not, I'm not victim shaming. You'd have to know the story, but ultimately her decisions are her decisions and it cost her her life, but it haunts him. And every first responder goes through this. What could I have done differently? What should I have done differently? Doesn't matter. Dispatcher, firefighter, paramedic, policeman, they all go through it. And I think, I'm kind of preaching to the to the choir of the of the church safety crowd here. We need to really start taking this stuff seriously because when people walk in the door and they're like, "Hey, I'm a firefighter. I'm a policeman," they may be in a marital crisis and they're in a tailspin and they look great. You know, they look like Americana when they walk in the door. Man, this is just a picture of America. But they may be. They may have signed the divorce papers and the divorce papers are laying on the console. I mean, it may be that bad. So anyway. Mike, just can you a, hear just me? A, I can. Can oh, you guys okay. hear me? <laughs> Go ahead, Aaron. <laughs> the only thing I wanted to say on that, just, just to piggyback, was Please. the one that there's a, a very, very, very quick story I have for you. Very mm. similar, very quick person in crisis. I'm talking with him. You know, I call the proper people that I need to, and I do everything I can to help the guy. Yeah, I'll be all right. I'll be fine. Okay, we got a safety plan for you set in line. And I said, all right, well, hey, I'll, I'm working tomorrow afternoon shift. I'll check up on you. I do that with every single person that I've ever encountered, just because it it gives me that that motion of, okay, I'm all right. I can check with somebody. I get done with work. Two hours later, I get a phone call saying he hung himself. Yeah. That... I tell this to every single person that I, I, I can. There is only so much you can do as a person. There's only so much. And the one thing you can't do is blame yourself for somebody else's decision. It's not your fault. Unless you tell that person 100% to go and do that, then you are to blame. If not, you have done everything you can to help a human being in life. So do not blame yourself. Amen. Amen. I I so want to tell an awesome story right now, <laughs> but I'm going to throw it over to Mike because he's he's finally in. So, Mike, what are your thoughts? Partially here. So I've been paying attention as much as I could. I apologize for the technical difficulties <laughs> with the camera tonight, but uh, uh, really appreciate you coming on, Aaron. It's it's such a great topic. I think it it's I think one of the things I've I've seen is we're not equipping people anymore or kids with how to cope and how to deal with uh, building up resilience. And I think we got the trophy generation where everything is instant gratification. Everybody's a winner. It it feels good, do it. And unfortunately, that results in, I think, the, the first time there's major disruption 
it's it's cataclysmic to these people in a way that wouldn't be for the average person who's built up some level of resilience. Mm-hmm. And I think we got a we got a compounding of that under COVID. And I think under mm-hmm. the old normal, we certainly had a way to have coping mechanisms, but that was go to your friends, go to your family, uh, human touch, closeness, proximity, go to the gym, work out, live some iron, go for a walk, go travel. But guess what? All those things have been almost made illegal. Um, so yeah. I think that's that's where I struggle. I mean, I know I know myself. I my uh, my resilience is in walking, and I've mm-hmm. picked up a lot of that. And and I've done a couple of posts on the group, and some people have seen me talk about that. I'm down 30 pounds since June, and a lot of that is dealing with COVID and the stress. It's yeah. it's the coping mechanism from that. The end result is a positive. But mm-hmm. the motivation started in a negative. We need other yeah. people to understand that they can have a release like that. The mm-hmm. Resilience is one of the major things that we we were so we at the academy. I'm sorry, at the academy, the uh, center. We were just trying that. That was the cop brain right there, mode. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, so. We actually just got trained by a man named Joe Collins who teaches us. It's the FBI Academy Resilience Program. And we are actually trained the trainers. So we get to start training people with that. So when you said resilience, I, I it clicked with me 100% because there are people that aren't resilient that, yes, when a situation occurs, it is the biggest, most, like you said, cataclysmic event in their entire life. When you have the tools and the skill set to be resilient it's Mm -hmm. only going to make that event not as bad but the after effects of it are not going to be as traumatic to somebody else that has those skill sets yes right and i i'd bring in even recently is in the sense is that i have uh i've been laid off from my normal day job so i've had a major trigger event and so being fully transparent and candid here um but I have resilience mechanisms. I have things that are built up that I can reach out to. I have these two guys here that mm-hmm. are, are a resource. I have my family. I have my walks. I have my faith in God. I have my daily worship and prayer. That mm-hmm. you know what? It may not be the immediate answer that I want. And don't get me wrong. The flesh still wants what it wants. And my brain still struggles mm-hmm. on a daily basis with all of that roller coaster. But at the end of the day, I have those other pieces and I just go back to God and I take it from that perspective. So it's one of those key pieces that the least thing that you can think of could become a mechanism for you that just helps, helps one inch further, one, one day further, whatever it might be. And there's so many different things uh, that can help people out that they just don't think about reaching out for those pieces. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. I definitely, I feel like we could probably go on another hour <laughs> with, with, with conversations. So one thing I will say, just wrapping up, and then I'm going to throw it to Paul so we can we can close up in, in prayer and, and end the broadcast. But um, one thing I will say is what Mike touched on, the triggering piece of it, and you know, for those of you leaders, or uh, maybe you're the unofficial leader, or maybe someone hasn't come out to you and said, "Hey, you know, you're you're in charge of the safety team." Reach out to the people in your church. Reach out to the individuals that 
maybe have been serving with you and, you know, really put forward the effort because you just don't know, you know, don't, don't make light of it, but at the same time, be interested and serious to the point of saying, look, you know, how can I help you? You know, is there some way that just listening to you or going and grabbing a cup of coffee, um, you know, sometimes that, that can make all the, all the difference in the world. So uh, with that, I will toss it over to, to Paul and you can close us out and uh, we'll, we'll definitely, I'll have to look at the schedule and we'll definitely have to get Aaron back in here again. <laughs> so I'm always down for a part two. So yeah, this is so pertinent. <laughs> I mean, this is so pertinent and like, again, we could unpack so much. There's so many gold nuggets here. So, and I, I think this would be very healthy because of your background in law enforcement. I think it cross pollinates. Um, I think this would be a great interview for Simon. So Simon, if you're listening, I think this would be a great interview for you too, buddy. So I'll pray us out. So dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for moments like these as iron sharpens iron, Lord God, so one man sharpens another. I thank you for moments like these. I ask that you would multiply this out, loaves and fishes style, Lord God, where it would bless many churches and many hearts. It would awaken something in people to realize, hey, I am my brother's keeper. I need to be checking up on the people around me uh, before something bad happens, Lord God. I lift this up. I ask that it would reach the right ears, the right eyes. And uh, Lord God, I ask that you bless each man that was involved in this tonight, Lord God, for what they do uh, to try to help others. We just lift this up to you in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So thanks for watching tonight, guys. Definitely uh, we'll have it uploaded in the podcast tomorrow as well as YouTube. Click in and uh, subscribe to that, uh, that channel down on the lower right-hand corner when you see that. And uh, we'll talk to you. Actually, we won't talk to you. Let me wrap up. We won't talk to you next week uh, because we will be, Mike and I will be on the road saving, saving Paul <laughs> from something. Who knows yet? Um, but next, the, I believe the following week, we'll get that posted. Um, we're actually, I believe we're going to be talking about uh, MBTI and how, um, how in personality personalities and personality of teams, how that can impact your safety team as well. So uh, from that point, uh, let me key up this. So again, uh, Aaron, what's the, let me close this out with, what's the good website to, to reach you guys at? Absolutely. I'll do some quick promo here. We have a website. It's sure. centerforsuicideawareness.org. Uh, from there, you can find all of our information. I also run a podcast for the center where I talk to several different people, and it's a wonderful one. We're on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, Discord. All are at Center for Suicide Awareness in Kakana, Wisconsin. <laughs> so how far, I'm just curious, how far are you from Green Bay? Uh, 20 minutes south. Okay. I thought, you know, when I first started talking to you, it's awesome. I thought you had a little bit of a Wisconsin accent in there. <laughs> of course, right? Yeah, you know, of course. <laughs> uh, I was born in Milwaukee, so I, I'm a cheesehead yep. myself. I Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for watching, guys. Take care, God bless, and we'll, we will talk to you in a couple weeks. Thank you for joining the Church Safety Guys broadcast. We hope that you found it informative and we appreciate your feedback. Looking for ways you can help us reach more churches? Share our broadcast with your teams. Consider becoming a monthly ministry partner. Like and share our page and join the discussion in our Facebook groups. Visit our website at churchsafetyguys.com for other great resources.
Remember to keep a servant's heart, a mindset of ministry, and semper disciplina. Always be training. Have a blessed week.